welcome back to the Jeff Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined as always by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, dude? How you doing? Well, I'm feeling pretty good. We are fresh off the New York Jets 2023 draft class, which if you were tuning in on Fansided's live NFL draft show, you got to see among a parade of other talented guests, this doofus, uh, analyze a couple of the picks, which we will get really in detail to later in the show. We do have a couple extra little quick breaking news items to uh, get you all caught up on first. But before we do any of that, you can always find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. You can also find us on YouTube at the Jet Press. There is a ton of great YouTube shorts and prospect interviews over there. First off, I got to say shout out to 49ers fans because Joey Fisher signed as an undrafted free agent there and our interview blew up. So thanks Niners fans for that. You can also check our our interview with Jarek Bernard Converse, who the Jets picked in the sixth round. Justin was all over that with a very good interview. And a little sneak peek, we might hear some uh, some quotes from Carter Warren, who was the Jets' fourth round draft selection this year. So keep an eye on that. You can find all that stuff over on YouTube. Let's get into what is – this is a show I'm really pumped for because there has been a lot of goings on in the Jets' world, starting with Randall Cobb, yet another signing. It's something that we kind of thought would happen because Aaron Rodgers, even though he said he didn't give the Jets that list, they've mysteriously signed a lot of players on that list of guys he would like to play with, one of which obviously being Randall Cobb, who Rodgers has really planted his, uh, really dug his feet in and supported for years and years and years. That's his guy. Ten years in Green Bay over two different stints with varying degrees of success. Like back in his prime, Randall Cobb was a 1,000-yard receiver at his absolute peak. Beyond that, he was a lot of 800, 900-yard seasons, even though he kept getting banged up. He was productive. At this point in his career, he's going to be 33 in uh, in August, and he hasn't had more than 500 yards receiving since 2019. So you're really not signing Randall Cobb at this point to be a big element of the passing game. He's a depth option. He's a veteran leader for young guys, and that's what the Jets did. They brought him in on a really cheap contract. And then for some reason, the Twitter sphere has all these wild theories and tangents about how the Jets are all of a sudden bending over backwards to Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's a bad thing. You want to get Aaron Rodgers guys he likes. Oh, my God. Like, they're doing that. They're signing him to be a featured option in the passing game, which he very clearly is not. I don't even know how you'd make that connection, knowing who the Jets have and who they signed. It's really strange. So if you're a Jets fan, and you're a Jet Press listener, so you're a smart, educated Jets fan, do not listen to these people who are all in hysterics about the Jets signing Randall Cobb. This is a backup. This is a depth piece. He's probably not going to play special teams, but this is a guy who's going to be as valued for his presence in the locker room as he is on the field. The fact that it's been twisted like this is really strange to me. I have spent a lot of the day, far too much of the day, going back and forth with not even just like it's not even just Packers fans. It's not even just like Packers reporters or analysts. It's national guys too, like like Pete Prisco and, and others who are just saying really just ridiculous things about the the Randall Cobb signing, about the Billy Turner signing as well, because that's another depth piece that the Jets added who has experience with Aaron Rodgers and Nathaniel Hackett too. Like, I think that's an overlooked part of this. They're not just bringing in these guys for Rodgers. It's also because they have experience working in the same offensive scheme with Nathaniel Hackett. I, just some of the takes that I've seen today, and I want, I want to list off a few of these because I've responded to some of them. Uh, one of them was from a few hours ago. Pete Prisco tweeted out, getting older and slower at receiver isn't usually a good plan. Of course, this is referring to the Jets wide receiver five or wide receiver six. This is referring to a guy who likely might not, I don't want to say likely, but there's a chance he's not even active on game days. Like there's no guarantee that Randall Cobb is going to be an active uh, uh, contributor in the offense or on special teams for the Jets. He's fighting with Denzel Mims right now for that wide receiver five spot. That's who he's referring to here. That's the kind of analysis we're getting. I can't imagine any other team signing a wide receiver five and there being this much blowback because of it. Uh, I've also seen plenty of people saying something along the lines of, oh, Aaron Rodgers complained about not having weapons in Green Bay, and then they just went out and signed all of his weapons. All this, He has the same supporting cast. No, he doesn't. Last time I checked, Garrett Wilson is not a former Green Bay Packer. Tyler Hall. 
Brees Hall, Tyler Conklin, C.J. Uzama, Corey Davis, Miko Hardman, none of these guys have played for the Packers. The Jets' entire running back room, Izzy Abanacanda, Michael Carter, Zonovan Knight, none of these guys played for the Packers. This is not the same. This is not the same skill position group. It's not even close. All they signed was Al Lazard. That's the only guy who's going to actually play a significant role this year. He is projected to be the Jets' wide receiver too. And if you ask me, going into the offseason before they even got Aaron Rodgers, I said he was probably near the top of my list. He made a lot of sense for the Jets, regardless of whether they got Aaron Rodgers, regardless of whether they hired Nathaniel Hackett. Lazard fit exactly what they were looking for in this offense. That's the only notable piece that they have signed to pair with Aaron Rodgers. Randall Cobb is a backup slot receiver who is, by the way, an upgrade over Braxton Berrios in that role. So it makes sense, even aside from Aaron Rodgers, to sign someone like Randall Cobb to mentor other guys on the roster and to fill an important depth role. Billy Turner might not make the team. He's he's competing for the top backup offensive tackle job, but you signed, you, you drafted Carter Warren. You have Max Mitchell coming back. You re-signed Cedric Abuayi. That's a loaded tackle room, which we'll get more into that. It doesn't make any sense. The narratives don't make any sense. It's just people that want to further the LOL Jets narrative. That's all it is. They're talking about bending over backwards for Aaron Rodgers when they signed a backup slot receiver and a backup offensive tackle who might not make the roster. And it, it's just that because the Jets deservedly so have earned this reputation as a bunch of clowns over the years and have done things that have blown up in their face. It seems like everybody's just anticipating like, all right, something's going to go wrong. So that way they can look like they're ahead of the game. Like, Oh, I, everybody obviously knew I very clear. It's the Zach Wilson thing. Everybody mm-hmm. knew Zach Wilson was going to be awful, except specifically the New York jets. That's what people would have you believe. It's, it's really strange and really frustrating. Yeah. Like you think once you get Aaron Rodgers, you're kind of, past that but now nope it's lol jets like did the packers really get lol packers when they kept re-signing randall cobb when he was very clearly not what he was but the jets did it 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 just it frustrates to no end because like unless the jets win a championship immediately no matter what they do they're always going to find the lol jets narrative and i don't want to just you could just say i'm like a complaining jets fan a lot but like with this team as it's constructed like with joe douglas and aaron Rodgers, like this is a completely almost like a brand new slate. They've done nothing. This is not John Idzik. This is not the end of Mike Tannenbaum. This is not Todd Bowles era where all that stuff would be perfectly fair game. From being honest, where, like, where was this blowback when the bucks did the same thing with Brady? Where was it when the Broncos did the same thing with Peyton Manning? There wasn't people didn't give a crap like that. You didn't hear no, this. Well, no, you know what I saw? I even saw two where someone brought up uh, the bucks and Tampa, and then a guy went, oh, yeah, well, that's one example. That's an outlier. It's like, there's two. what do you want? Like, what do you want here? (laughs) I I responded to a tweet today that said uh, it was literally – this was in response to the Randall Cobb signing. Again, a backup slot receiver who likely, at most, will see five to ten snaps a game in in a healthy wide receiver room, right? That's who this is responding to. Because this was the this was the exact tweet quote because bending over backwards to please a newly acquired superstar is a proven route to success. Two things. One, yes. In what world is is acquiring is signing a backup slot receiver bending over backwards? Two, yes, it is. It is a proven route to success. It has worked multiple times within the last decade. <laughs> like, what are we even talking about here? Two of the last ten Super Bowl winners have been because they did this exact thing, and the Jets have done it maybe to a lesser degree than those teams. Oh. It is wild, man. It is. It is. It is wild. These takes are crazy. I know it's May. We have many, many, many more months of these takes. But I'll say this. I'd rather this be the narrative. I'd rather people be looking at the Jets and being like, oh, they're they're bending over backwards for their future Hall of Fame quarterback than the Jets running it back with Zach Wilson or running it back with, you know, or bringing in like a Gardner Minshew or someone. This is the better alternative. It's still annoying, though. Absolutely. Now, what the Jets also did to bend over backwards to Aaron Rodgers is sign Billy Turner. <laughs> to a one-year contract, again, a former Packer, and I believe former Bronco when Hackett went over to Denver. So this is a Nathaniel Hackett guy and Aaron Rodgers guy. They love him some Billy Turner. And that throws another new uh, wrinkle into the offensive line room because the big offensive line news was Mekhi Becton uh, not getting his fifth-year option picked up. In a draft class where I believe they set the record for the fewest uh, number of fifth-year options getting picked up, uh, Becton was another one of them, and – this was not really shocking to me. I feel like everybody was kind of expecting this because we haven't basically seen Becton on the field in two years. Uh, one thing that I will, I'm a little puzzled by, and I'm not one of those guys who was just banging the table for an offensive lineman in the draft. I got it, but I 
like I think it would have been a good move, but I understand there were other areas of need, another place they could have gone down, which they eventually did. But those guys actually have some legitimate they have more ammunition and they have a bit stronger argument now because the Jets are doing this weird have it both ways thing with Makai Becton where they neglected to really pay for a high-end tackle. Even though they chased some guys, they never really sealed a deal on a high-end tackle to be the starter. And then they also didn't draft one. So that shows, well, they're very confident in Makai Becton. He's going to be great. All that's got to happen is he's just got to stay healthy. Sure thing. Then they also don't pick up his fifth-year option. So he's basically on a prove-it deal. So they're having this weird, like, you, we believe that you're going to be the the one, one of the top protectors for Aaron Rodgers. That is a huge undertaking and a huge responsibility for a guy who basically hasn't played in two years. But also, we're not going to pick up your fifth-year option. We don't have that much confidence in you. It's a little bit of a weird thing they're doing here. I mean, I, I expect it because of the health. That doesn't make it any less of a confusing scenario to me. I think this was the only feasible outcome to this situation. It's something that people saw coming for months. I don't think anybody was surprised or nobody really should have been surprised when the Jets did not pick up Mekhi Becton's fifth-year option. Like you said, that 2020 draft class looks pretty bad in hindsight, right? At least the Jets COVID year. You couldn't really scout properly. So right. And that's unfortunately that was Joe Douglas's first draft class, right? So that was that was a difficult time, I'm sure, for a lot of people in the NFL. Um, but I'll say this at least the Jets have a guy who we know is talented. It's just been major injury concerns with him. This was the only way they could go about this. There's no way you can pick up that option, which I believe was worth around three or 13.6 million, something like that, uh, in 2024 for a guy who's played one game over the last two years. You can't do it. I, and I'm sure the Jets are incredibly encouraged by the progress that Mekhi Becton has made this offseason. Per Rich Samini, he's down over 50 pounds. He's wow. put in the work. Like he has really put in the work. And I'm very optimistic about how he's going to play this year, much more optimistic than I was going into last year. Unfortunately, you just you need to see it. You need to prove it. He, he needs to go out there and prove it, not only that he can stay healthy, but that he could play at the level that he was for a lot of his rookie season, if not even better than that. They are trusting him with the starting role, or at least that's the presumption. I don't think they've actually called him a starter, and I don't think that that's necessarily set in, so, set in stone. But the assumption is if he's healthy and he's not playing bad, like he's going to start. Whether it's a left tackle or right tackle, that's to be determined, but most likely right tackle. Either way, I do think the addition of Billy Turner and addition of Carter Warren in the draft – uh, it gives them – they have a lot of offensive tackle depth. And I was very vocal like, last year. I don't know if people who follow Jet Press Twitter. I, I wrote some stuff, wrote articles about it. I was very vocal about how the Jets' offensive tackle depth was really bad last summer. It was bad. It wasn't until like, they they picked up Cedric Abwehi midseason that I was like, okay, it's actually getting somewhere. And then they added Mike Remmers. It, it, was, it was actually quality depth by the end of the season. And obviously they lost – they had seven different offensive tackles spend time on the IR. But going into the summer, I was very vocal. I was very critical of, of the Jets' offensive tackle depth. Complete opposite this year. They have six NFL caliber, assuming that Carter Warren is an NFL caliber player, they have six NFL caliber offensive tackles on their roster. Those guys are not all making the team. You got Mekhi Becton, Dwayne Brown, Max Mitchell, Carter Warren, uh, Billy Turner, Cedric Abuay. Those are six NFL caliber players. They're not all starters, but they're and they're rosterable players, which you could not say that about the Jets' offensive tackle room last year. I don't even know if they had four at this at this time last year on the roster. And Mitchell uh, was a rookie, so you got to grade it on a curve there. Exactly. And so I think that they've really, in terms of the depth of the offensive line, it's one of the it is it's crazy to say this. It's one of the deepest position groups on the entire roster. They have 12 NFL caliber offensive linemen on their roster. They're probably going to carry nine, maybe 10 tops, right? Guys like Tristan Cologne, who they signed in the offseason. Right now, if it's a healthy room, he's not making the team. I don't think Cedric Abwehi makes the team. And I'm not sure what they do at tackle. If everyone is healthy, which obviously they're protecting themselves if that's not the case. And it's, you know, I don't know, foolish to assume full health. But if everyone is healthy, you have Dwayne Brown, Mekhi Becton, Billy Turner, Max Mitchell, Carter Warren. That's five offensive tackles. I don't know if there's a single team that carried five offensive tackles on their 53-man roster week one last year. That's rare. Uh, so it, it, it's uncommon for that to be the case. I don't know what their plan is. I don't know what they do. Well, Turner um, does have versatility, doesn't he, though, at guard? Carter Warren? Uh, um, Billy Turner. Oh, Billy Turner, yes. Billy Turner absolutely yeah. does have, have versatility. He's played all five offensive line positions outside of center. Uh, most of his experience comes at right guard and right tackle. And that's like – I know I know Packers fans kind of kind of like – mocked it when he was signed dolphins fans also hate him billy turner has 75 career starts he started 61 games over the last 
what five years, something like that. He's not a bad player. Like he's a bad starter. If he's a starter, he got overpaid was the problem, and then people ex- expectations yeah. changed. If he's a starter on your team, that's not good. He's your weakest link for sure. But as depth, this is he's a good depth piece. I mean, the Jets' offensive line—they got Connor McGovern or Joe Titman as one of their backups. That's really good. Wes Schweitzer is a good backup. Billy Turner is a good backup. Max Mitchell, I think, is a good backup. The Jets' offensive line is super deep. I'm very interested interested to see how it all shakes out. But I'm very I'm I'm cautiously optimistic about the Jets' offensive line going in 2023. It almost reminds me what Douglas is doing of almost what Kyle Shanahan is doing with the quarterbacks this year, where he just had every single injury known to man. He's like, all right, I'll carry six quarterbacks. I don't care. I'm just not having what happened last year happen to me again. And you know, I, we've been I've been critical of Joe Douglas because supposedly he came in as the offensive line mastermind and the big hog molly guy and. He's built offensive lines that normally have had a couple above average players, but just collectively they were never quite there. Even though the offensive line I thought last year was not as bad as people said it was. I thought it was probably league average, even without Vera Tucker, they kind of were plotting there. And then Zach Wilson would hold the ball for five seconds and get sacked. So it made it look worse than it is. And some Zach Wilson fans didn't want to admit that he sucked. So they just blame the offensive line, which is what fans do when they like their quarterback and they're trying to make excuses this year. I actually, I like their offensive line for the first time in a very long time. With Vera Tucker coming back, if Becton's healthy, we don't know who's going to be the starting center, but you either get a proven, I would say, solid NFL center or a standout rookie that the Jets were incredibly high on. And then Dwayne Brown, who was playing hurt, and he still was very effective, and they absolutely love him, and he's a leader. This is finally something you could be like, all right, now we're now we're cooking with something, which... I know Aaron Rodgers can move, but the dude's 39. You got to keep this dude upright in the pocket. So for sure, not mission accomplished, but mission on the way to potentially being accomplished, which the Jets couldn't say last year. So I I think the thing that they've done best is they've significantly raised the floor of the offensive line. I don't don't think the ceiling is significantly higher than it was last year, although a healthy and and motivated and, and, you know, Mackay Becton reaching his ceiling that that raises the ceiling quite a bit but the floor is just so much higher like like I said before they had seven different offensive tackles if you include Elijah Vera Tucker in that conversation spend time on the injured reserve last year that's crazy I think it was per football outsiders numbers no other team had more offensive linemen injuries than the Jets uh, even like the Rams who I know they had a bunch of injuries there. the Broncos had a bunch of injuries there I think the Jets beat them all uh, now they, their defense was incredibly healthy. So it kind of balanced out a little bit, but they were, they were really beat up last year. They protected themselves now so that if they get those injuries, cause injuries are going to happen. We know it. It's football. They've really protected themselves. They have a lot of quality depth. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited about it. I don't think it's, I don't think they're going to be a top eight offensive line in football, but I think that their floor is so much higher. I don't think they're going to be a bottom 10 offensive offensive line. And really that's, that's all you kind of want going into this year because you have a pretty good skill position group. You have Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback. As long as you are protecting yourselves and you're protecting your quarterback, you should be in good shape. You know who I'm excited for, Justin? Who are you excited for? Will McDonald. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now in the NFL draft, the Jets, I would say pulled off one of the more stunning picks and not in a you know, mouth agape, oh my goodness, what is happening, Way, But just something that I'd, I didn't see any mock drafts making this pick. So right be, right after Broderick Jones, uh, who was kind of the last of the consensus top four offensive tackles, went off the board at 14 to uh, the Steelers following a trade-up with the Patriots. The Jets do not trade down, which I can't really – people go, oh, why didn't he trade down? Sometimes a team wants to trade up and didn't have any. It's, it's hard to get trades down, hard to move around the order. Joe Douglas stays at number 15 and he takes Will McDonald, a defensive end from Iowa State. And this move, boy, in the immediate reactions, I mean, Jets fans acted like they just took a guy who's like a, a fifth round talent. I mean, they couldn't believe this pick. They were beside themselves. And looking back on it, I even said this live. I liked the when he got picked live in the uh the fan side NFL draft show, which I hope you guys checked out. Uh I compared it to why I didn't really hate the Jameer Gibbs pick a lot for the Lions in that I like the player so much that it's really hard for me to be too uh, disappointed about where he got picked. Was it higher than where I had him going? Absolutely. Would he be in my number one defensive end at that point? No, I probably would have wanted Nolan Smith, but they really were not that far apart on my big board. I really think McDonald's going to be a high-end producer in this league. As we mentioned before, he's not a great run defender right now. He's only about 235 pounds, but as Robert Sala mentioned, he was basically playing out of position his last year at Iowa State. He was playing at the 4-I, which for those who don't know, is in between 
a guard and a tackle. That's like a defensive. That's where Quinn Williams plays four eyes sometimes. Mm-hmm. And they won McDonald playing there at 235. So when he played in more of a traditional edge rusher role in his uh, for past two seasons at Iowa State, he had 10 and a half and 11 and a half sacks. And he helped set the all time Big 12 record, which Justin Dino, who number two in the Big 12 is all time. It's Von Miller, right? It, it is Von Miller. Miller. So Von Miller. For the rest of time, will not have as many Big 12 sacks as Will McDonald. That's the kind of college career he had at Iowa State. Extremely bendy, very quick off the line, 10 forced fumbles too, so this guy generates turnovers. This seemed like a Robert Sala pick. This is a guy that Robert Sala very clearly fell in love with at the Senior Bowl. Everybody's seen that clip going around of him spitting around Darnell Wright, who got picked 10th overall by the Bears. Were there positions that probably had a more immediate need I'd say so. Was defensive end, I still think, an area that they need to address at some point in the draft? Absolutely. They just did it a little earlier than I think some expected, but they still ended up with a really good prospect and a guy who, if you're going to believe the reports, Carolina really liked and was going to trade up to get at the end of the first round. So if you didn't get him at 15, you weren't going to get him. And it seems like they just loved him that much as a prospect. I, I think you're definitely right about one thing. This was 100% a Robert Sala pick. Like, right. through and through, this is a guy that I'm sure Robert Sala fell in love with, like you said, at the Senior Bowl. The Jets have had a habit over the last couple of drafts now of drafting guys who were standouts at the Senior Bowl. Of course, they were helping coach there last year. This year, they weren't, and they still drafted a few guys from the Senior Bowl. Uh, Will McDonald, of course, being the most notable at this point. I'll take an optimistic stance on this first before I kind of give my, like, candid thoughts on it because I I don't love the pick as much as you do. I was vocal about it on Twitter that I didn't like it immediately. And it's not necessarily because of Will McDonald. It's more because of, like you mentioned, the immediate impact thing. But I'll, I'll take an optimistic stance first. I think he's going to be a much more productive player and a more effective player in the NFL than he was in college. And like you mentioned, he's the all-time Big 12 sack leader. Getting him out of that four-eye, which Robert Sala, if, you know, if anyone has any concerns about them doing that, he already he literally mentioned it in his draft call to Will McDonald. He said they were to get him out of that four-eye and into the wide nine, which is that's Robert Sala's specialty. They, he helped develop that or he helped start running that in San Francisco, and it worked wonders for the 49ers. Getting a guy like Will McDonald, who, you know, he's undersized, but one of the twitchiest, bendiest, most athletic or outside linebackers or edge rushers, whatever you want to say, in this draft, getting him in that wide nine, getting him far outside the tackle box and letting him use that speed and, and bendability, it's going to be huge for him. It's going to be so much better than him lining up as basically a 3-4 defensive end because that's pretty much where, where Iowa State had him lining up a lot. And I think within a couple of years, he could develop into a really, really good pass rusher. I, I don't know if his role will be significant early on. In fact, I don't think it will. But I think in a couple of years, you're talking about a guy who can be really good. And of course, Carl Lawson's on the last year of his deal. Bryce Huff's on the last year of his deal. Seems like there's a decent chance the Jets don't re-sign both or either of them. You know, maybe, maybe neither comes back. Um, so I think that this is a pick very much for the future as much as it is for 23. However, that being said, that is part of the reason I don't like the pick. I think you have a very small window with Aaron Rodgers. I don't, you know, obviously we, no one knows if he's going to play past one year right now. We think he will right now. We assume he will. We have no idea what's going to happen over the next nine, 10 months. We have no clue, right? There's a, every possibility that this is the only year you have Aaron Rodgers. We have no idea. You have a very tiny window. I think drafting a guy who is basically going to replace Bryce Huff as your third down pass rusher, who's maybe going to play 15, 20% of snaps. Cause that's pretty much what Bryce Huff played last year. I think that that is not how I would want to use a first round pick. You have a premium, relatively premium pick at pick 15. There were other players on the board who I think would have made a significantly larger impact, not only in year one, but still be cornerstone players. Jackson fifth and Jigba immediately comes to mind. That would have been my pick there. Uh, I think immediately he steps in as your wide receiver too. You can cut Corey Davis. You double your, you, yeah. I mean, you think, you think, you I, can, I think Lazar would still be the two and honest. I disagree. I think he, well, he'll be in the slot. Obviously, he would play slot. Lazard to be on the outside as well as Garrett Wilson. And, but I think and ob- obviously, wouldn't preclude drafting somebody because of Miko Harbin. But if we're to believe the Jets, they supposedly love Miko Harbin and want to give him an advanced role. So I mean, I I would much rather have Jackson Smith and Jigba in the slot than Miko Harbin. And that's not because I'm down on Miko Harbin. I think Jackson Smith and Jigba was the best receiver in this draft class. And I think he's someone who, if he was in the right system and right scheme, can immediately come in and be a 1,000 yard receiver in the NFL. I, I truly believe that about him. I believe in the Ohio State pipeline. We've We've seen it with Garrett Wilson, with Chris Olave. I hope we see it eventually with Jamison Williams. I know he transferred to Alabama, but I think we'll eventually see it with him. We're going to see it with Marvin Harrison Jr. Like that Ohio State 
pipeline uh, of receivers is just crazy. And Jackson, I thought I was high on Jackson Smith and Jigbo. Oh my God. (laughs) He's one of the favorites for, for, for rookie of the year. Like I I think he's a great player and I think he would have absolutely made a larger impact than Will McDonald will make early in his career. That's not to say that Will McDonald can't be a good player down the line. And I think he might be a very good player. And I think in this jet scheme, he could be really good, especially with Robert Sala, you know, coaching him up, getting him in that wide nine. I just think, He's not a guy that's going to play on early downs at all right now. Hopefully he can eventually be that guy, but he's not He's not going to do that. He's not playing on first and second now because he's not a good run defender. He's still undersized. He's basically filling the Bryce Huff role. And my my other issue with it is Bryce Huff is already a good player. Like Bryce Huff is one of the most efficient pass rushers in the entire NFL last year, right? Like you have you had a really good player. I know that Will McDonald is a much better athlete than Bryce Huff. I know he's twitchier than Bryce Huff, but Bryce Huff thrived in that Bryce Huff role. Now I don't even know what his role on the roster is. I, I said this on Twitter and people gave me shit for it. I don't know if he's going to be active on game days. Do you think the Jets are going to have six defensive ends active on game days? Because I don't. Like, I imagine, I, I expect them to add another defensive tackle at some point. Whether it's Al Woods, I think they'll get another one tech in there. And you're going to have four four defensive tackles active on game days. You're going to have Quentin Williams, whoever that guy is. Maybe it's Al Woods, whatever. Uh, uh, Solomon Thomas and Quentin Jefferson. Those are going to be your four defensive tackles. I think the odd man out is Bryce Huff because I think Michael Clemens and John Franklin Myers give you the versatility to play inside. Also, Michael Clemens played special teams last year, uh, which Bryce Huff, I don't believe, played special teams. So that's another edge to Michael Clemens. I think you're basically just phasing Bryce Huff out of the rotation in favor of a guy who, yeah, I think he's he's very talented and I think he could be really good. But you already had a guy who could fill that role. And I think I, I think there were just better options for them. I want to also go to chat really quick. I know I've, I've talked a lot here, but Nick Trusnebeck said in chat, Kincaid could have solved all your problems. I would have liked Dalton Kincaid over over uh, uh, Will McDonald. I would have because I think so Jeremy Ruckert's just gone then. Look, man, you know how much I love Jeremy Ruckert for personal reasons as well. I don't think that – I don't know what his role is going to be this year. I don't know what he's going to do. He had a very quiet rookie season. Dalton Kincaid is a great, great talent, and I think he would have been you – know, you know how I've been vocal this entire offseason about how I think the Jets need one more playmaker in this skill position group, in this receiving core. Dalton Kincaid, I think, is that guy. I, I, I think Jackson Smith and Jigba would have been that guy. Right now, it's fine. They have a fine wide receiver room. I'm happy with the depth. They have really good depth there. But I think getting a guy like Jackson Smith and Jigba in there, getting someone like Dalton Kincaid in there, because you could play that dude at wide receiver. You can play him as a big slot. You can absolutely do that. I think either of them would have made a larger impact than Willie McDonald. And so that's that's where I am about it. I don't hate the player, and I think he could be really good. And in a couple of years, it might look like a great pick. I think year one, it's not where I would have gone with it. Here's where I would push back on that, because – like, all right, Smith and Jigba, I think, definitely would have had a role if the Jets picked him. Like, would you bet anything, like, assuredly stamp it, he's going to be have a bigger role in the passing game than Alan Lazard? I don't know if I would. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't assuredly say it, but I would, exp- I would think it. I would think it going right. into the, to the season. I think he would be the number two leading receiver by the end of the year. That's where I would, that's my expectation. Where the, the problems I'm having with some of the narratives on Jets Twitter are two things. Number one, if you draft a guy 15th overall, like, all right, he might play a smaller role in year one, but I imagine they're not going to keep him in the Bryce Huff role for his entire career. They drafted him to be a defensive cornerstone. So that is not, they're not just going to stick him there for four years. The Jets did not draft a guy who's a depth piece 15th overall. They drafted a guy who thinks going to be a starter for 10 years, mm-hmm. 15th overall. So I imagine they're going to find ways by hook or by crook, maybe they move Franklin Myers inside in a more permanent role. I don't know if I love it, but I think it would make sense. They're going to get Will McDonald on the field come hell or high water this year and next year. They're going to figure out some sort of way. The biggest problem I have, maybe, I don't know, because I don't think you would describe the draft like this, but I'm having, I've seen this a lot with big names, people I respect, people who know what they're talking about. They didn't go all in on this draft. They didn't have an all-in draft. Is that like an oxymoron? Is there a such thing as an all-in draft? Like, I get that, obvious, look, the Jets picked Defensive Rookie of the Year, Sauce Gardner, Offensive Rookie of the Year, Garrett Wilson, and presumed Offensive Rookie of the Year, if he would have stayed healthy, Brees Hall. That does not happen all the time. And the Jets also did not draft Brees Hall. Like, oh, we're going to go all in. Like, you, the draft is for supplementing, and it's for this year, but also the next couple years down the line. That's what it's for. You can ex you could accentuate and get win now pieces in free agency. The draft is where you build your roster in a more sustainable way. This idea that oh we, we they should have gone all in on I I saw all in applied to a tackle that tackle might not even start. Agreed. Like I I I think that's the wrong way to look at it. And 
I think that also Jets Twitter has been kind of warming to Mc- I think that was part of it too, is that Nolan Smith was on the board and Nolan Smith was a five-star recruit, number one overall, very visible. He was at Georgia all the time. Well, McDonald at Iowa State wasn't on your TVs every Saturday, so there just wasn't as much, you know, clips of him getting around. I think the more they looked at Will McDonald, they're like, okay, we, I think we got something here for using right. And I think too, like we we were talking earlier about the whole four eye wide nine thing. I mean, I don't think it's really been illustrated how egregious and how awful that was by the Iowa State coaching staff, who, by the way. We're getting NFL looks. Remember Matt Campbell getting NFL looks, and now he's winning like seven games with Brees Hall. Matt like, Campbell put out a tweet that said something like "Go Jets" the other day. It was like during a draft, and I'm like, like I, I think I saw someone on Twitter say, "Imagine like a Jets fan saw that tweet like four years ago, <laughs> like, <laughs> would have lost their minds. They would have lost their mind." Like, yeah. yeah, but so Matt Matt Campbell and this and this coaching staff. I don't know who the defensive coordinator is off the top of my head, but like he's 235 pounds. If the if Von Miller was playing four tech right now, like people would run Sean McDermott out of town. Mm-hmm. I mean that doesn't make any sense at all. And then let's just imagine for hypothetically, let's go back to 2022. Let's say Will McDonald declared after that year off back to back ten and a half and eleven and a half sack seasons with a lot of the same testing numbers and no decline in production, no weird four eye stuff. I think he might go higher than this. I think that I think that's the kind of talent the Jets think they have. And you know what? You can't talk all, all this like we love Robert Sala, we love Joe Douglas stuff. Like I get he's made some mistakes. I feel like he's built up enough equity to kind of get one of his guys and take a little bit of a risk, in my estimation. The NFL draft, it's all about projecting. Like that's we, we see these players in college, and just because somebody is super productive in college or great in college, that doesn't mean they're going to be great in the NFL. The Jets saw Will McDonald. They saw he was playing at a position. They saw his natural talents, his abilities, and they said, when we get him in this building and we put him in our scheme, we think he's going to be a 10-sack guy. Like that's that's what they're thinking. That's why they drafted him. And I get that. I don't have any issues with that line of thought. I think, and I, I don't fully agree with the whole, like, oh, they didn't go all in. I don't fully agree with that narrative. I think it's a kind of a silly narrative. But the reason that that narrative exists is be, is because of the Will McDonald pick. That's the reason why. I don't think anybody is thinking that because of the Joe Tipman pick. I don't think they're thinking of it because of any of the day three guys. They're looking at Will McDonald and they're saying, okay, he's going to be a backup edge rusher. He's going to be a guy who's maybe your fourth or fifth edge rusher in terms of snaps. I, I legitimately think that. I don't think he's playing more than – 20, assuming full health, of course, this is assuming full health. If Carl Lawson gets hurt or whoever gets hurt, this completely changes, right? But if if everyone's healthy, like they were last year, I don't think he's playing any more than 20, 25% of snaps this year because that's what Jermaine Johnson played last year. Jermaine Johnson played like 25% of snaps and he can play on early downs. Like, I don't think Will McDonald's going to play on early downs. Jermaine Johnson does. Michael Clemens does. The only guy that you can compare him to, I think, is Bryce Huff. And so that's that's my, that's my why I don't particularly like the pick. I think there were just better options. I think there were guys who could help you in the future and the present. I don't really think Will McDonald helps you a ton in the present. However, I do get the projection. I get it. And also, I you, you mentioned this earlier. I think this is something that, that the Jets are really looking forward to. He has a nose for the football. That dude forces fumbles like no one's business, right? So that I think is another aspect of it. Now, if the Jets can just learn to, you know, recover them, fumbles, right? <laughs> recover fumbles, maybe we'll have something here. But they, 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 they should be able to force fumbles this year. Let me put you on the spot really quick. Okay. Who do you think has a better chance of earning a second contract with the Jets, Jermaine Johnson or Will McDonald? <sighs> I'll say, I'll say Will McDonald. I'll, I'll say with McDonald because I, I not that Jermaine Johnson was bad as a rookie. I think he was fine. I think he had a fine rookie season. I do want to see more snaps from this year, which another reason that, you know, I don't particularly love the Will McDonald pick because I don't think that's going to happen now. Um, but I, I think given what I saw from Jermaine Johnson in year one, I'll lean towards Will McDonald. Hopefully they both get second contracts. Hopefully you go, you know, into the future where Will McDonald can be your, your Carl Lawson replacement and Jermaine Johnson could be your John Franco Myers replacement. Like that's kind of what I'd hope for. I think McDonald's, even a, a better athlete than Carl Lawson at this stage. Um, he's more, he's twitchier. Power, Lawson wins a lot with power as well. I think there are different kinds of players, but I think that's kind of what their roles will be. Ideally, that's the future, but I will say Will McDonald. That's, that's what I'll say for that. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So the Jets take McDonald, and then in the second round, 
They go offensive line in a move that I think many were extremely excited about how they, when they selected Wisconsin center Joe Tipman with the 43rd overall pick. And funny enough, in my mock draft, I actually believe had uh, – I actually made a revision, let it have them go with Adebawari before he fell. But then I had John Michael Schmitz to them in the second round and then Tipman to the Giants and then they yeah. ended up, they ended up flip-flopping. But uh, Tipman to me, I know there's going to be a whole Connor McGovern – like uh, I almost said Conor McGregor again, <laughs> Conor McGovern battle that they're, that's going to go on. I think you obviously don't want to go in with any preconceived notions, but I think if it's a tie, I'd rather give it to Joe Tipman, a guy who, although he's a big center, six foot six, you don't see many six foot six centers uh, walking around town in the NFL right now. Only one uh, sack allowed in his two years at Wisconsin. And that was against NFL athletes, NFL defensive tackles all the time, not SEC level, but, pretty consistently week one week in and week out mm-hmm. you get a guy who it was really weird how they described his versatility because i believe espn said he had the ability to end up switching over to guard and then nfl network said he did not and he's a pure center mm-hmm. it's a little bit weird but i think just with his ability to move in the open field get to the second level well i think if they really needed him to play guard he probably could it's like a vera tucker and tackle i think is a good comparison if you really needed him to he could hold his own and he he's a guy too who comes from a great pipeline. Like you never want a helmet scout because that's how you end up sometimes with D Milliner. And that's how you end up not taking Patrick Mahomes and things of that nature. But Wisconsin offensive linemen usually have been made pretty easy transitions to the pros. So I really don't think Tittman's going to be overwhelmed by the transition. And I think he's probably by the end of the year going to end up being the center. I don't know if McGovern starts. I don't know if Tittman starts the whole way. But I think they they drafted him with the expectation that he's going to be Aaron Rodgers center for quite a long time, or at least as long as Aaron Rodgers is here. Definitely. I, I'm completely with you there. I think when they sign when they re-sign Connor McGovern and we saw what the contract was, which is an absurdly cheap contract. I know we talked about it already in the show. Absurdly cheap for a guy who is a legitimately, at worst, average starting center the last couple of years. At worst, I think he's been an average starting center. But when we saw the contract they gave him, it was pretty clear that this did not preclude them from drafting a center because – I don't know if they saw McGovern when they re-signed him as definitely like I, I know they didn't. They did not see him as definitely a guy who's going to start at center. Uh, and so it was not a surprise at all when day two, 43 overall, they took Joe Tittman. I know some, you know, some Jets fans were higher on John Michael Schmitz. I get it. Joe Tittman's the better athlete. That's why they went with him. Again, it's all about projecting in the NFL. They looked at Joe Tittman. They saw how he could get out in space, his ability as a, you know, when he can pull, just basically how he can get up into the second level. And I think that they like that more than, than what John Michael Schmitz can do there. Uh, I think John Michael Schmitz is a safer, higher floor prospect because one, he's older too. Uh, and I think he's just, he's a little more technically sound than Tippmann at this stage, but I really like that pick. Uh, I think that Joe Tippmann has every opportunity to come in and win that start, that starting center job come week one. And with the versatility stuff, he only played center in, at Wisconsin. I believe he only played center in college, but I think, a lot of teams are projecting him that he can play guard because of that athleticism, because of his ability to get out in space. Also, a lot more 6'6 guards than centers, so I think that's part of it as well. Um, so I, I think that it's kind of just projecting there. He doesn't really have a ton of experience playing guard. He definitely didn't play it at all in college, but I think it's more teams are looking at him and saying, we think this guy can play guard, and I'm sure he, I'm sure some teams worked him out uh, in the pre-draft process at guard. I think he – I've seen some NFL comparisons to like a guy like Mitch Morse. I think that makes sense. Just hmm. kind of a taller center as well, a big guy. I don't know if Joe Tittman's ever going to be a top five center in the NFL. Maybe he will be. I hope he does. But I think he's going to be a long-term starter. And that's what the Jets were eyeing there. They improved their offensive line. Again, added so much more versatility and depth to that line because we talked about it before how much depth they have. They have so much flexibility too. Like they have got almost every single one of their backups – can play on multiple positions. You know, Billy Turner can play tackle and guard. You got Connor McGovern and Joe Tippman can both play guard and center probably. We know McGovern can do it. Barrett Tucker can play guard and tackle. Carter Warren's probably going to be your left tackle. You got a guy like Cedric Abway who, who can play both tackle spots. They have a ton of versatility in the offensive line. Wes Schweitzer, guard and center. Like, they they have so much flexibility. They're protecting themselves. I think that's what the Joe Tippman pick is, and as well as a guy who you hope is a long-term starter. And I believe... Uh, I believe that Tipman was also, there were rumors that the Jets were looking to move up into the late first round. Yes, there was. To get Joe Tipman. Some may not like the idea of drafting a center just on principle, because for some reason you don't really see a ton of first round centers. And there's a lot of like, you know, we found our center in the third round. I was like running back stuff. Mm-hmm. We found our guy late. 
this is interesting. I found out. I think since the current rookie salary scale and the fifth year option kind of kicked in, although Tittman wasn't picked in the first round, I think this kind of speaks to how important the pick was and why it's a good selection. There have been eight centers picked in the first round, and seven had their fifth year option picked up. Is Billy Billy Price is the one who didn't? Right? Billy Price is the one who didn't. I loved Billy Price, man. Oh. That, makes, that makes me sad. I love yeah. Billy Price. Billy Price. He just it was weird because he was so strong in college, and he just goes to the NFL. It was like like the air came out of the balloon, like or like you know Dracula. You turn the lights on, he just like turns to dust. Yeah, it was I really know. strange. I don't know but, what happened with him. <laughs> but hopefully, he's not a Billy Price. The point being. Typically, investing in centers with a pick like this has been pretty fruitful. And it's not a position like center is not just like a plug and play offensive position where you just go throw a guy on here. And like that's you're making calls at the line. You're doing a lot of stuff like that's an important it's quarterback of the offensive line. So if he ends up becoming even an above average center, this is a guy who legitimately could be on the Jets for 10 years to get that 43rd overall. I think not only did I. I think it solidified the fact the Jets won on day two without moving around. I think that made him a big day two winner. I think it made him a better, they had a better first three rounds than the Packers, I think, mm-hmm. in totality, which is funny too. Because now if you look at the the Aaron Rodgers trade, if you look at it in context of picks, it looks a lot scarier. When you look at it as, oh, they traded away Luke Musgrave, who a guy is, I, I like as a prospect, but he's not going to be a great blocker. And then immediately got his impact kind of nullified because they took another tight end and Tucker Crab later. And Lucas Van Ness, a guy who didn't even start in college, I think it's making the Jets trade look even better because they just they gave away a pick and they still landed Joe Titman. That's pretty good, Joe Douglas. I agree. Really quick, Brian and Chad said Garrett Bradbury did not get his option exercise. That's true. They did extend him though. He got that, I think it was a three-year extension. So, right, so you are right. They did not, they did not uh, um exercise his fifth year option, but he did end up getting extended. So he at least improves. I remember his rookie year, he was awful. And then he got at least somewhat better. Yep. Yep. So going on to day three, because boy, oh boy, did the Jets actually make some good day three picks. As we mentioned, Carter Warren, who Justin will get right up on with the Jet Press because he uh, did a nice little interview with Carter Warren. You can see that a little bit later when it's up. Carter Warren is a guy who. I think like Will McDonald, uh, the last year in college hurt him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I think if he either declared or did like a Jamar chase and just sat out and prepared for the draft, I think he's a day two guy. And now, obviously, he only played, I think, five games his last year, and he did not look amazing in those games when compared to his 2022 uh, or 2021 film. But when he's healthy, really long arms, powerful runner, plays angry, and he blocked for another great jet running back we'll discuss later. I think he's in that Max Mitchell camp where I'm not, if Carter Warren is going to end up starting like most of the games for the Jets and something has gone terribly wrong, I think Carter Warren would even probably tell you that himself deep down. But I think he's got so much to work with where eventually, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up starting at some point in the NFL. He reminds me of, I think he might be this level player, like a Brandon Shell type where there's enough where if a guy gets hurt and he might miss a game or two, you can feel perfectly comfortable with Carter Warren coming right in. And if he stays healthy and everything clicks with his length and how aggressively he plays the game, I think that there's a slight chance he end up being an average starter in this league, which for a fourth round pick, it's a pretty good haul. Yeah. You're, you're drafting him to be a developmental tackle, which is exactly what they did with Max Mitchell last year. Basically Max Mitchell is going to be your developmental right tackle. Carter Warren's your developmental left tackle. That's kind of how I'm reading this. That's kind of how I'm just assuming it's going to be. Uh, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen with Makai Becton. Maybe he can eventually win back that left tackle job. Maybe next year, maybe this year, whatever. But right now, Dwayne Brown is probably your left tackle. Maybe Carter Warren has a chance to start as soon as 2024. If he really develops this year and they, 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 you know, obviously they love his athleticism. They love his upside. Maybe he could be a guy that, that develops into a starter next year. Of course, like you mentioned, he had that knee injury last year, played like four or five games. He barely played. So I think that definitely hurt his draft stock. Uh, he seems to be completely healthy now. He seems to be fully healed. I think he's just somebody they're going to bring in, hope to develop into a potential starter of the future. And again, he just gives you more depth along that offensive line, which is something the Jets desperately, desperately need. So I like the pick. They obviously didn't address tackle earlier, kind of not really fully their fault. I mean, they, they the top four all went before uh, they had, they picked. Although, uh, based on what I've seen, I think that the Jets plan to take Will McDonald over Broderick Jones regardless. And even over both of those guys, they plan to take Jameer Gibbs, which... We don't got to d- dive into that necessarily, but that's pretty wild that they plan to take a running back. 
Uh, and I know you love Gibbs, but that's that's still wild. Um, but that, that would have been wilder than McDonald. I know Gibbs was yes. like a, pretty much a wide receiver with how much they used him like that at Bama, but that would have been at least the Lions immediately traded DeAndre Swift and said Jameer Gibbs is our guy, and that makes it better. Like that would have at least been like, eh, okay, you, okay you, this is one way to make a big board. <laughs> that would have been like when the even worse than when the Jags took Travis Etienne. Like they got a lot of a lot of like blowback for that when they took Travis Etienne because they already had James Robinson. It would be even worse than that because you have Breeze Hall and you took him at fifteen. And Etienne was really good last year. He so. was. No, I, I'm not even saying it was a bad pick. I'm just you know at the time people were like, what oh, yeah, the, the hell is Urban Meyer doing? You know what is he doing? Uh, and I my think- favorite part about that pick is he openly admitted in the press conference that he didn't want him because he's like, oh, yeah, we wanted Kadarius Tony, but he was gone, so we just took him. We're like, Dude, Urban what? <laughs> what a guy, Urban Meyer. What a what guy. A guy. Uh, but, yeah, I, I think Carter Warren, you're, just, you're hoping he can develop into a future starter, and right now he's quality depth, and there's nothing wrong with that. Now let me ask you another question. I'm putting you on the spot a lot today. That's fine. Favorite day three pick. If you had to single out one, was it Carter Warren? I think it's the guy that that would be that would be up next. Is he a Vanakanda? I think is that I'd say Kanda? that is my favorite day three pick. I mean, for personal reasons, I love that the Jets draft the Jar Bernard Converse because I got to talk to him before the draft, and that was fun. And I do love the Zach Zach Koontz pick. I think I just in terms of fun, that's a really fun pick. Uh, but I think in terms of a guy who I think can have an immediate impact and potentially be a really really good player down the line, it's it's probably is he Vanakanda. Now, Vanakanda, for those of you that don't know, is a speed, speed, and more speed running back prospect that I think is probably going to start the year as the third running back on the depth chart uh, behind Brees Hall, obviously. And then Michael Carter with him and Zonovan Bam Knight kind of fighting for space. And is it unreasonable to say that? I think by the end of the year, he could be RB two just because Michael Carter by the end of last year, man, he really was really was laboring out there. Like for a guy that drafted to be a big explosive home run hitter, as consistent as he was and as he can kind of churn out tough yards, he was not hitting the home runs that he was at North Carolina. Abanacanda's game is all home runs, 1,400 yards, six yards a carry, 20 touchdowns during his last year of Pitt, including one game against, I believe, Virginia Tech, where he ran for 320 yards on 8.9 yards a carry with six touchdowns, which is just un- unreal. Video game stuff. If there are concerns with Abanacanda, it's this. Uh, number one, he's only had the one-year production, which for a running back, I'm not going to freak out about because they have like a you don't want him getting 900 carries in college. That could be a little bit of a warning sign. And the fact that he his contact balance for a back is as big as he is isn't really amazing. Like he's a speed guy, but he's built like a I think he's 215. He's mm-hmm. built like a between the tackles guy, so it's kind of like a weird fit that the Jets have to kind of reconcile. Uh, the other concern too is if you look at the numbers, uh, he had of the twenty touchdowns he had, uh, ten of the twenty came against Virginia Tech and Rhode Island in two games, which I mean Rhode Island, you know, like go Rams and all that, but I mean they're not pumping out NFL players every year. And then he also had uh, his second biggest game was an overtime game against Tennessee, who has a good offense. The defense I thought was kind of mid, and then uh, Western Michigan was his next highest game. So. I don't know if the production is necessarily 100% going to tell the story of a Banacanda. I do know for a fact that the speed is real, the home run potential is real, and the kickoff return potential is real. They mentioned that. So expect to see a lot of Israel Banacanda during his rookie season, more so than for most fifth-round picks. I definitely think there is a very real chance that he takes over that RB2 role with the Jets. Uh, I know Michael Carter had a very good rookie season and a lot of fans were high on him, but he he disappointed last year. Like he underwhelmed. I don't know what it was, but he looked slower. He looked a step slow. I don't know. I don't even know exactly what happened. Maybe he was playing hurt. Haven't heard anything about that, but it was, it was a major difference when Brees Hall went down. And it's not just because of Brees Hall. Like there was a very noticeable difference. And then, you know, later in the year, Bam Knight took over that role from Michael Carter. Like he became the the guy for a couple of games uh, as because Bam Knight was, was more productive at times than Michael Carter. I don't think and he's then he, uh, Let's say he regressed to the mean pretty he hard. He did. Like, he's not clearly not as well-rounded as Michael Carter, but it was a reason for that. He even got some Ty Johnson snaps later in the year. So I, I think the Jets realized that they, you know, as much as I like Michael Carter and he, he seems like a great guy and he's hilarious, I I think that they really wanted to upgrade that RB2 role this year. And I think Abanacanda could be that guy. Like, he 100% could be that guy. I, you mentioned the speed. I know he ran a 4-4-4, I think, at his combine. He's been clocked at running a 4-2-9, like an unofficial 4-2-9. Really? That fast? Yep. 
That's I don't again. It's an unofficial time, but I've seen that he, he ran a four two nine. I don't know if it was at a. It definitely wasn't at a pro day. But it would have been more publicized than that. But that's that's the kind of speed we're talking about. Like get this guy in open space. He is electric, and I think that's exactly what the Jets wanted in a running back. Because you look at Michael Carter. He's just not that guy. Like he's not an explosive breakaway speed runner. If he gets an open space, he's not going to, you know, be able to turn a potential like, you know, five yard gain into a, a touchdown. Like he, he's not necessarily that guy. He's a grinder. That's, that's where I think he's at his best. He fights for extra yards. He's a tough runner, but they wanted that explosiveness. They want this offense to be super explosive. That's why they went out and signed me, Cole Hardman. And that's why they're drafting a guy like Izzy Abanacanda because he can do that. And I think you lost that because, you know, I, the Jets released Ty Johnson uh, uh, last month, I believe it was with an injury designation. Not sure what's going on there, but I hope he's all right. Um, but th- they kind of lost that speed element with Ty Johnson because Zonovan Knight isn't necessarily a breakaway speed guy. Michael Carter isn't that. Brees Hall absolutely can be, but you want to change a pace guy that can come off the bench and fill that role. I think Izzy Abanacanda does that, and I would not be surprised at all if he's RB2 by the end of the year. Even though Abanacanda was a good pick, my favorite day three pick was the RAS Wizard. So for those that don't know what RAS is, it means for it stands for Relative Athletic Score. It's a popular draft metric used to gauge athletic ability. Essentially, on a scale of zero to ten, they take you know your height, your weight, and then certain uh, like explosion drills, like your verticality, your broad jump, your speed, you know your forty time and your twenty time, and then your agility, your shuttle, uh, your three cone, and and your bench press, and they round it all into one metric. Of course, closer to ten you are, the more exceptional you are, and they grade it for positions and height and weight and all that they drafted a guy who going back to 1987 has the best number one relative athletic score of all tight ends for almost 30 years and that is Zach Koontz the tight end from Old Dominion who everybody was kind of shocked that he was there that late I know I certainly was but I think it was kind of like how Darnell Washington out of Bawari fell mm-hmm. where there was clearly something medical now, with Washington out of Bawari, it was probably something the teams found out that they were a little unsure about. With Koontz, his things were very much out in the open. Uh, like He went to Penn State originally, big five-star recruit at 6'8", 250, this big, giant guy. He was like a power forward, and he ended up with three catches. And part of that was he had Pat Fryermuth ahead of him, and part of that was he just could never stay healthy. So when Ricky Rain, I believe is how you pronounce it, R-H-A- R-A-H-N-E, Ricky Rain, Ricky sure. Ron. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, that sounds right. Coach Rick goes to uh, Old Dominion as the head coach. Koontz goes with him. 2021, 73 catches, 692 yards, five touchdowns. So they're saying, all right, this year is going to be the big breakout year. 12 catches because he got hurt again. Mm-hmm. Now, if he clicks, he reminded me, I think my comparison was Jelani Woods. And Jelani yeah. Woods went in the third round last year to the Colts. And by the end of the year, he was pretty good. It was a lot of, he's no, not going to be nowhere near this good, but it was like Antonio Gates levels of just jump ball. Let's throw the ball anywhere near him, and he's just going to box people out like a basketball player and come down with it. He can be that kind of guy. And I think that we, we were joking earlier about, yeah, if they took Dalton Kincaid, Jeremy Ruckert's spot is pretty much gone. I mean, Jeremy Ruckert's going to have to fight for snaps this year because I think Koontz is probably going to end up either on the 53 or the practice squad. Like, I think the Jets are want to hold on to this guy. And honest, I don't think it would be out of the wrong possibility if they say, you know what, let's maybe if we find a way to move off Tyler Conklin, we find a way to move off CJ Uzama, and then just go with whichever one of the veterans is left as tight end one, Ruckert is two, and then Koontz is tight end three. I think he's that special of an athletic prospect where they can do that. Like the only reason he went this late was because of medicals. So mm-hmm. if he stays healthy, Jets got to steal. It's funny you mentioned Jelani Woods because I'm pretty sure he was one of the only guys. Because like like you mentioned, the RAS score, Zach Coons scored a perfect 10. 10 I think out of 10. he beat, broke Jelani Woods' record. I believe Woods also had a 10. I believe they're two of like it was like two of like four tight ends ever have, have received a perfect 10. And by the way, when we say ever, like this is over a thousand, it's like over 1,100 tight ends that have that have been in this system it's since 1987. I think it was 87. Uh, He's which, number one. Yeah, yeah, he's literally at the top. He's tied 10 out of 10. So Jelani Woods is a fair comparison. When you get this late in the draft, when you're in the sixth, seventh round, you're drafting two types of players. You're either drafting guys who you think can make an immediate impact on special teams and be just quality bottom of the roster players, 
or you're taking a guy like Zach Koontz, who is just, it's a dart throw. It's a complete dart throw. You are hoping that because of his ridiculous athletic traits, and when I say ridiculous, I mean legitimately unprecedented, never before seen. Like, it's not even just rare. Calling him a rare athlete is underselling it. It's unprecedented. That's the type of player we're talking about. That's that's the kind of player you take in the seventh round. I loved it when they did it because I thought it was, it was, I mean, it, immediately it was like, this is going to be so much fun, right? Dude is six foot eight, 255 pounds. He ran what a four, five, five, I believe it was a four, five, five, 40 yard dash at six, eight, 255. That's, that's not, that's not real. Like that's, that's preposterous. That should not be possible. It, you know what uh, his vertical it was? I mean, it was probably ridiculous. What 40. Was 40 inch vertical. And six, eight. He's six eight. Okay. 50. He, he could jump to the second store window. Like that's, that's how big this dude is. Nearly um, an 11 foot broad jump, just under 11 feet. I, I said this when they drafted him. If, even if his only role is is put a, put him on a field goal block, like literally yeah. just put him on the field put goal. Put him on block. the hands team. Let him do this. Yeah, let him do this. Let him try it. Like Michael Clemens did it last year. Let him just stand there and put his hand up, jump. Maybe he'll block something. Like, That's what I would do. I would draft like if there's like a seven foot three basketball player that doesn't right. make it, I'd be like, it's like a Belichick movement. Like just come in and just block field goals. That'd I feel like that's like do. that's totally something that would have happened in like the 1960s NFL or something where they just were like, this guy's so tall. Let's just put him right here and let's see if he could block stuff. I feel like that actually is a thing. Like somebody tried to like put a guy at the goalpost or something. I feel like I've seen that story. I might be making it up. They did change the rule eventually because I think guys used to be able to – that was when the goalpost used to be like at the yeah. – in the front. I For think some- a guy did that and they changed the rules. Yeah, but I I, I I really love the Zach Koontz pick. I don't know if he's ever going to be a decent player because legitimately he's a complete – like he's such a work in progress. He's not a very strong blocker right now. He's not a very good route runner. I don't even know if his hands are that great. But the they're, dude, they're okay. They're, they're okay. fine. Like for a guy that, that that's that big, I probably would have liked to see him be better in contested catch situations because he's just so massive and just so much more physically dominating than everyone else he's playing against. But like just for the size alone, for the speed alone. And again, like you mentioned, he could have gone a lot higher if he didn't get hurt this year because he had a really good 2021. And unfortunately, he had, I think it was an ACL injury. Uh, this past year. So he, I think he could have, he could have gone third round like Jelani Woods did. I know it was a little bit of a surprise when Woods got drafted that high, but I wouldn't have been surprised if Coons got drafted earlier. It, it's, it's just a fun pick. Like it's a super fun pick. I'm very excited about it. I'm happy about it. It's probably my favorite, like, just let's just you know, screw it. Let this is my favorite, like just fun pick fun. I think fun is the best word to describe this pick. So here's how we'll end the show with another quick on the spot. Justin question. Right, if you had to grade it. this draft, letter grade. Ah, <sighs> I'd say prop like I, I obviously this comes with the caveat of immediate draft grades are obviously silly. I think we all know that. Yeah, but but probably like a C plus, probably a C plus. Yeah, I, 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 I think, think I'm a straight B. So okay, that's fair. I, I that honestly the difference is literally just a Will McDonald pick. That's yeah. the difference. <laughs> that's we I, all I, like Tipman. We all like a Bandicanda. It's it's Will McDonald. I have zero issues with the other picks. I mean Zaire Barnes is whatever. I think he's never going to be anything more than a special teams linebacker, but that's fine. It's a sixth round pick. Who cares? I like the Jarek Bernard Converse pick. Besides the fact that I interviewed him, I think he could genuinely be a pretty solid back of the roster depth piece who could potentially maybe maybe develop into a starting safety in the maybe future dime packages i don't yeah, know yeah i i wouldn't I, I don't i don't i don't mind that pick and i like the carter warren pick i like the zach coons pick I, I don't i don't dislike this draft at all i just the first round that, that's that's what drops into a c plus for me but hey i hope i'm wrong i hope will mcdonald kicks ass this year i hope he becomes a perennial all pro that's what i'm rooting for i want to be wrong i would love nothing more than to be wrong <laughs> So you can find out if he'll be wrong by listening to the Jet Press podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Can oh they? My, oh my goodness! What a, can they? Find, is that how they find out? That, that that is that is salesmanship. Apple Podcasts, <laughs> Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcast, you can go find us over there, and you can find all of our wonderful YouTube content over at the Jet Press. We got shorts, we got interviews, we have the full podcast with the visual feed, so you get to see this ugly mug. And Justin, all the all the time. If that this is your preferred, hey, I didn't call, I didn't say the I took the ugly mug. I'll, 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 I'll you know I'll I'll do the the self deprecation as well. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So with that, that's how you go and check out all of our great content. Justin, the floor is yours for the sign off. Yes, sir. Yeah, like Mike just mentioned, we have a Carter Warren interview coming out very, very soon, possibly as soon as tomorrow. So keep an eye on that. Uh, we have one up with Jark Bernard Converse that we did before the, the draft. So that's really fun. If you care at all about guys like Joey Fisher, Kobe Turner, Brandon Kipper, they're also up there. Uh, yeah, we got we got a lot of stuff. We got a lot of content with the Jet Press. It's fun. 
Uh, yeah, that's it. Oh, I also, I won't be on the show next week. If anyone cares at all, I won't be, I'll be on vacation. Ha ha. Well uh, earned PTO for Justin, man. He's yeah, yeah, been yeah. busting his ass. So. I, I haven't taken a vacation in a long time, so I'm very excited about it. But anyway, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. You can follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow the Jet Press at the Jet Press. Download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast. Spotify, Google Podcast, Overcast. Got to shout them out every time. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, hit that notification bell. You guys know what to do. We stream live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. Thank you all for listening to the Jet Press podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. See you guys next time. See you folks next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.